This is an odd play for the Trade Federation. We've got to warn the Nabu and contact Chancellor Valorum. Let's split up. Stow aboard separate ships and meet down on the planet. You were right about one thing, Master. The negotiations were short. So, Parth, what have you been eating? Nice to see you, by the way. Trent, we're not in our natural habitats. No, we've retreated to our childhood homes due to Thanksgiving. Giving of thanks, yes. Um, What are you thankful for? You, this podcast. Yep. Other than that, everything else is just just background noise. I'll just say it's, it's all in shambles, Trent. Uh, for dinner, my family and I got takeout from an Ethiopian place. Uh, it was pretty good. Got Doro Tibbs, which is just chicken, and Miserwat, which is like lentils. And it was really, really good. Nice. Um, I had... The last time I had red meat was... Or uh, the last time I had a cheeseburger was probably, um, like, over the summer uh, via Five Guys. And I know for a fact that I threw up in the car afterwards... So, um, is ever since I was briefly vegetarian freshman year of college, my stomach hadn't, hasn't been able to come back to like large sums of red meat again. And for whatever reason today, uh, I was craving a, uh, a burger and, uh, me and my friend went to Sonic and got burgers and then we played Settlers of Catan and, um, it was a pretty nice night and now we're podcasting past midnight. So it's officially tomorrow. And it's officially Sunday, the day that our episodes come out. So we're talking live, basically, to the people on day Essentially. Of, on day of release. Happy Happy Church Day, everyone! What What has happened is that uh, beginning of this, I guess, school semester, which is to say September to about now, we were so well planned, and I'd edited all of the episodes, and we were cruising along through school, and now we've reached the point where we're just like broken remember remember like eight months ago when we were like wow we have all the episodes for the rest of the year planned out and now we're like fresh out of interviews and now we're gonna have to really start exerting ourselves again it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough winter break we'll put it that way but in the meantime it's gonna be an easy winter break for the listeners because they get to enjoy um, all of our hard work from the summer in prequel winter. Yeah, um, I mean, we start prematurely in November, on November 28th, but let's just say you're in for a ride. Should we should we cut into the intro so that we can get these cool cats their cool episode? Yeah, let's start the cool introduction music with a cool segue. Cool. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movie. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, as stated in our intro, we start prequel winter um, throughout the first week or last week of November. uh, And the month of December, we will be talking about the Star Wars prequels, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. And we start this week off with Benton Jew, storyboard artist for Phantom Menace. Trent, just, you know, just to remind me, um, this interview was pretty fucking awesome. 
Yeah, it was really great. He talked about, um, you know, the specific scenes he worked on with Phantom Menace. He talked about working on uh, Skywalker Ranch. He talked about working with George Lucas. Um, talked about, you know, collaborating with all the other storyboard artists, all the other cool movies he worked on. But um, speaking of storyboard artists, coincidentally, our Attack of the Clones guest is also a storyboard artist, and our Last Jedi guest was also a storyboard artist. Thus far, all of our Star Wars things have been storyboard artists, except for Revenge of the Sith. And Parth, call me crazy. I teased this out in uh, the Muppet solo pod, but don't you think guests, uh, discussion guests, are going to make a grand return during prequel winter, or, or am I wrong? Well, uh, I don't want to say it for fear that we won't 100% follow lock through. Them in, but uh, yeah, let's just say I'm pretty confident we're going to have some fun people to be talking with. Yes, uh, on paper we will have fun, but that fun has not yet been translated into concrete. And so, don't don't um, don't count your chickens before they hatch. I guess. So don't guarantee that you're going to have any fun on this show in the next month. But it's possible. But don't guarantee. But we can't guarantee that. But let's not delay this interview. Our fans, our listeners, our humble. Humble people have come. Wait, what if we to? had a name for the people who listen to our show? Like this, either like the Crafties. I was just gonna say, I feel like that's the most, that's the cleanest. Otherwise, we're working with like the ser- the, the the services. So I think Crafties. Let's just the Crafties. Stick, let's stick yeah. with the first thing. I mean, that's pretty good. I feel like that works out nicely. It sounds sounds a little fun. Sure. Okay. Um, because we've just for for literally years now, we've just struggled to call them viewers, listeners, the fans at home, etc. And I don't know if we have enough of a of a fan base to introduce this vocabulary. All right. Uh, Benton Jew. Yes. Um, Benton Jew. Enjoy the episode. Um, stick around towards the end to maybe hear something that he told us off air that you know. He didn't say while on the record. And maybe you'll hear it if you say. But we're only allowed to tell you at the end. But you can't skip till the end. You have to listen to the interview in its entirety. And you can't even do the little 15 or 30 second forward skip. No. We'll know. And then we'll put in a switch ending. So just don't lie to us. We're watching. Like Santa Claus. St. Nicholas. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He and now our interview. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Benton Jew. He's the storyboard artist behind such projects as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Detective Pikachu, Mulan, and our film for today, George Lucas's Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. So just to start off, uh, how would you say your relationship with film was as a kid? Uh, You know, I always was interested in two things as growing up as a kid, comic books and and movies. And um, especially after Star Wars, you know, I got into the whole sci-fi thing and making your own films with the, with, um, and you know, we were young, we, we got 
a Super 8 camera for Christmas. My brother, I have a twin brother who also is a storyboard artist. And so um, in addition to drawing comic books, uh, we would make little animated films in our backyard with our Super 8 camera. And the fact that we were able to draw at a young age sort of combined those two interests together. And it's sort of combined uh, in later life in our profession. So because drawing storyboards is more or less like drawing a comic book, but also you're still involved in the filmmaking process. So it was kind of kind of like the perfect job for me, really. And how did you find yourself storyboarding for the first time in any, in any professional or unprofessional way? Aside from just uh, doing storyboards for, for my own films as a kid, I guess that's kind of where it started. We would get those, uh, you know, we were in junior high school when Star Wars came out. And uh, we would get all those books, you know, The Art of Star Wars, The Art of Empire Strikes Back, and we'd, we would see all the storyboards by, you know, Joe Johnston, Ralph McQuarrie, and, and so forth. And um, so we would, we kind of learned the process that way a lot. Of it. But for me, uh, the first time I ever did, a, did storyboards professionally was uh, for a project called Body Wars, which was not a movie per se, but it was a, a Disney Epcot Center uh, simulator ride. So it was basically taking place inside the human body, kind of like Inner Space or Fantastic Voyage, you know, films like that. And uh, it was all kind of point of view, going inside the human body through the vein system, venous system and blood vessels and going through the heart and everything like that. So that was my first project at ILM right out of my, uh, art school. So, uh, so that was the first, and the first actual film project I ever worked on was uh, Ghostbusters 2, which happened a few months after I finished uh, Body Wars. So everything worked out well for me in terms of that timing, because I had just finished art school, or was just finishing art school when I got the call to work at ILM. I got that actually from another storyboard artist who had seen my work when I was a student at the Academy of Art College in he was giving a lunchtime talk, which we call a brown bag lunch. And he, he would give a talk and, and uh, he would show his portfolio and then we would show our portfolios to him and he'd look at our stuff. And I had a lot of stuff that was kind of in a style that's like Stan Drake or Leonard Starr, who were, were um, comic strip artists at the time. And a lot of, a lot of young people who were at my age at the time didn't really study guys like that and so i guess that made me stand out to stan fleming the, the story artist and so years later when they called him to work on body wars he couldn't make it so he uh he told the he called the arctic and he said hey, there's a guy who liked the stan drake stuff and everything so they they called me in and then i interviewed so that's how i got my first job at ilm now that we're talking about ilm just um so we can get into the main topic of the day how did you end up getting involved with uh, Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. What was the story behind that? Uh, well, I think you know when I, when I first started at ILM, I think everybody knew that there was going to be a sequel at some time. We just didn't know when George was going to pull the tr- the trigger. And at some point, I guess Doug Chang, who was you know the creative director uh, on Phantom Menace, was he was asked to to start collecting concept artists and storyboard artists. Uh, to work on and every guy in Hollywood who had a portfolio was sending their stuff. It was pretty amazing. But obviously I, at that point, 
I'd worked with Doug for many years at ILM. I, I'd worked at ILM for 13 years, and I guess I was probably there for, you know, maybe uh, 11 years by the time, 10 or 11 years by the time Fed Menace started coming out. And um, uh, he, he basically said, uh, you know, I think you're, you're the one who's going to have the job. And so basically I was lent from the ILM art department to the Jack art department. Jack is the Lucasfilm company that uh, produced uh, Phantom Menace. So, I mean, they're different entities, but it's part of Luke. They're part of Lucasfilm. And, mm-hmm. and so um, they created that company, Jack Films, just Jet, Amanda, and uh, I can't it's, it's all, it's George's kids. That's what Jack is an anagram for. And so, um, anyway, so they needed a storyboard. So I was just there for, I was lent from ILM to the ranch, to Skywalker Ranch. And I was working up at Skywalker Ranch for about a year, just doing nothing but Phantom Menace stuff, which is unusual. I think usually when, when I'm storyboarding stuff, especially when I'm at ILM, it's usually a very short term thing, you know, working on a project for, you know, like whatever, 10, 10 months or whatever I was working on it for. It was unusual. They wanted to. They wanted to board everything in that film. Mm-hmm. So, it, and it wasn't just me. It was um, I was I was, probably did the, the bulk of the boards, but also Ian McKaig and uh, Edna Tivy Dad and uh, Jay Schuster and Terrell Whitlatch and many others all pitched in uh, with storyboards as well. Were you just doing storyboards, or were you also doing like concept art or something? Because ten, ten months just seems like such a long long time or was it just so extensive i did a little bit i um you know uh, there's a few there's a few um characters that i helped create and i think there was an there's an ad that george was that yeah look there's just all kinds of little small projects that george would do ask us to do drawing wise so would the direction come straight from george lucas or what was the chain of command and how how would you be asked to uh, to approach a scene, and how much direction would you have? The way George did it on the Phantom Menace is a little bit different than uh, what I would normally do, which was on the Phantom Menace. There, we had this huge stack of rough thumbnail boards that were just like the size of a postage stamp, and there was this, you know, basically a big stack of them. That they were drawn by various artists, in, you know, uh, in the office. Uh, and then I would just, we would just draw those out as a big step uh, from, from the big stack and just continue doing the work. Basically what would, what the process would be, would be that once or twice a week, we would meet with George and George would sit at the table with us. And um, he'd basically tell us one part of the story and everybody would do a thumbnail and would say, George, uh, what, is, is this kind of what you're looking at? Says, yeah, something like this or something thing like that so we had this big stack of thumbnails and then we paste all those thumbnails up and we use those as roughs for for the more finished words that we would do so it was just you know we'd do that on wednesday and then and then george would come back and review the boards you know on friday or, or the next wednesday so was it like absolutely amazing to hear george lucas like describe like this elaborate universe like straight out of his mind yeah i mean it was it was i think it was all very exciting to all of us because I think the, I mean, at the time it was so highly anticipated and really a lot of the reason why a lot of people who I work with, you know, got involved, at, uh, you know, at Lucas was because they were expecting to work on the new star Wars. And uh, so 
you know, it was an, it was an exciting, it was an exciting thing. We, it was something that you knew was going to be big at ILM. We'd already done some ground work, groundbreaking work on things like, you know, the abyss or Terminator movies or uh, Jurassic park or any number of those movies. And so kind of, we, I think we, everybody knew it was kind of that time because the technology was, was catching up with George's imagination at that time. So it seemed like it was, it was the right time. And we were expecting, we were kind of expecting it was going to happen fairly soon. And then, so finally it was announced to the company and, um, you know, it was totally exciting for the nerds and all of us. At that time, I wasn't even born, but uh, I'm assuming it was different uh, in terms of how you were literally doing storyboards um, just because of the advent of digital technology and everything. But that was also one of the movies that I guess pushed a lot of technology forward. So were you working with just like normal drawings or were you working with like digital systems at that point? Um, most, uh, most of the storyboards we did were um, just pencil and paper no Cintiqs or anything like that. And, um, but we, you know, there, there was, we would still work hand in hand with the, with the animatics artists to do uh, the scenes that were dependent more on camera movement. So mm-hmm. we would give the, you know, we'd give those boards as placeholders to the people who were doing the, mm-hmm. the digital uh, animatics. Um, but, but for the most part, it was all, all very much old school style doing it. We just, we mm-hmm. just, we just had uh, pencil and paper and big stacks of paper so so what scenes do you remember doing and like how much detail did each one have and did it have color and like about how many were expected of you like for per day or something speak on that uh you know you could uh, uh, the industry standards you know uh, 25 to 30 boards um so i think the the boards the the scenes that I'm most famous for are the Darth Maul fight at the end. Oh wow! And you know because I was the resident martial arts geek there, and um, a lot of the reference that we used, you know, was stuff that was either my recommendation or, or stuff that I would just bring in and, and just show. It, it might get people inspired. You know, we we come come with our own, but it's 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 you know, we always look at other films to sort of like. Uh, gain a, uh, a broader view of martial arts films and to that point, did you talk with the fight coordinators at all to sort uh, of- not really i kind of wish i i kind of wish i did but you know it's a storyboard artist so i wasn't really architecting mm-hmm. that scene we kind of I, you could I, you could tell some parts of it you know i obviously had an effect on the uh the site coordinator so and then mm-hmm. there you know I, I drew a lot of stuff in that was very much chinese uh, martial arts uh, oriented a lot of jumping and acrobatics which was uh, very different than the more Japanese movie styled stuff that we'd seen in, in the first three films um, which is more like a, ch- a Japanese chambara film you know, it's, it's samurai you know you know slow and really you know direct quick strikes whereas Kurosawa stuff yeah Kurosawa stuff whereas this is more like, you know, a continuous whirlwind of movement, mm. which is, is, you know, more in the Hong Kong style, which was gaining resurgence at the time. And so, um, you know, I would bring in a lot of films in, you know, that were, uh, you know, like Ride with the White Hair or Moon Warriors or What's Upon a Time in China, you know, th- things like that, that, uh, 
that were sort of in vogue at the time. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, so I did, so, so I was finished for that scene. I also did the scene with the, uh, the, the pod race and sure. And this classic scene scene with the, uh, arguably the two most famous scenes in the whole film. I guess, uh, there's, there's, so, you know, there's that. And then there's also the, um, I can't even remember what it's called anymore. I'm getting old. So what, at what point is it in the when, movie? When like, he, when, when, when Anakin goes through the, the, that circular, uh, space, it's kind of like the Death Star, but it's when he destroys the droid base he, in his spaceship. Right. Right. The, they're in outer space and, and it's kind of a curved, curved spaceship. Oh yeah. 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 It's okay, like a yeah. horseshoe shape. Yeah. The horseshoe shape. What was that one? That's the, um, not Star Destroyer. I, I can't I remember it. Remember. Trent, you saw it last night, right? Yeah, no, even then. But but, moving on. Uh, So I was wondering, how much does your style vary depending on the film? How much does my style vary? It it doesn't really. I mean, I would say the only thing that changes might be the level of detail in terms of of how, you know, know, usually that's determined on how quickly we need to get it done or, you know, deadlines, Mm -hmm. things like that. But I, I think George, especially since we're doing a lot of stuff with visual effects, you want to put in a lot of details because they're going, they're going to use those to help budget the film. So they would take a first, like the first time we had a first pass of the entire movie, they would go in there and um, pour through every board and, and with a marker, you know, like a, a, a felt tip day glow marker, go in with each storyboard and then, um, this one's going to be a puppet, so we're going to color this. This is going to be a matte painting. It's going to be a different color, mm-hmm. you know. So that might be colored in pink, and everything that CG would be colored in a different color. So, um, so you so you had to sort of like, in order for ILM to know what parts are going to be, you know, visual, uh, visually done with CG, and and what style they're going to be using to. What, what what tools are going to be using to do it? You, you kind of had to have a lot of detail, and you know, just so that that, that um, things can be defined. If there if things are too uh, kind of loose and sparse, and and doesn't and don't have doesn't have a lot of detail or you know information in it. I mean, you know, there's something that could, could slip by you when you're trying to budget a film and, and seeing, well, how much is it going to cost? We'll, Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't, we don't really know because they forgot to draw the, they forgot to draw in the crowd, the crowd, right? For example, and uh, so it's it's for something like that, visual effects boards. It's, it's good to have detailed, um, very accurate uh, boards. Um, and I, I wanted to ask uh, how your processes, if at all, changed over time, or if it's just mostly stayed the same. Uh, again, like with whether the tools you use or your workflow or anything like that, how how you've evolved over the past few years. Um, most of the stuff I work, you know, for a long time I would do I well, everything I draw is on a I use a Cintiq now. I don't use paper pencil anymore. Mm-hmm. I think the last time I worked in paper and pencil, I think was. Was Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, 
that was the last time. That was what was that? Two thousand, like twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. Yeah, that's probably the last time. I, at that time, I still was using the computer a little bit, but after that film, I think I went full on, full digital, uh, full digital for everything. And for a while, I did everything in Photoshop, but now I do everything on Clip Studio Paint, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just everything having everything in a digital format just makes things cleaner. Cause I'm such a slob. I have used to have storyboards and paper all over the place. And now it's so much, it's so much easier. What's the difference between Photoshop and clip studio paint? There's some, well, there's some, yeah. Clip studio paint has, um, you can break things down into little pages easier. I mean, it's basically a lot, a lot of all the same things, but it's just all the tools are in different places. And you use, use them in different ways, but for me, the reason why I like it is that you know you can break down down things into pages, and then you can just you know put them all together and, and put them as a PDF and send it off. And and then it also has all kinds of tools where you can you know it's 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 cheaper than Photoshop. There's there's a lot of there's it's, it's it has all the advantages of Photoshop. And I mean, I could use just soon use Photoshop as well, but I I find that Clip Studio has been working well for me. So before we get too far away from Star Wars, uh, you said you worked on Skywalker Ranch for over or for about a year, mm-hmm. and uh, I've always been very curious of what exactly goes down there, and like what what is it, and that there's a level of mystery behind it all. Okay, well, I mean, it's very different than say ILM, which is a very you know it's a very work oriented place. You know, you've got the you you have all the fun stuff there. You have the model shop and and mm-hmm. and the ILM art department, things like that. And it's all very, you know, workmanlike. You know, um, but you go up to the ranch and it's all really nice. There's a, a really nice you know have all this artwork all over the place by guys like N.C. Wyeth or or, or Norman Rockwell. And it's a really pleasant place. You know, it looks like a big you know old time you know mansion with. Uh, Art Nouveau, uh, you know, motifs all over the place. And it's just a beautiful place. I think the original intent with George was to create a place where, where artists could work in a really nice, relaxed atmosphere. Uh, working, yeah, working at the ranch was, you know, it, it's a quiet, it's a little quieter environment. And um, uh, that's, that's where all the, you know, where all the Star Wars stuff you know, happens. It's not just visual effects oriented. So you have, and you have a lot of the, you know, old, old, um, archive stuff that's available to you fairly easy as well. They have, uh, the Skywalker ranch there and then they have, um, Skywalker sound and all that stuff is, is housed up there. So we spoke about your time in ILM, uh, uh, unless Trent, do you have any more Star Wars related stuff you wanted to ask, or can we move on to? I, I wish I just before we move on, uh, did you use the original trilogy for inspiration or for reference at all in drawing the fan, the Phantom Menace boards? Um. Well, no, nah, not really. I mean, only only if needed. But generally, we felt like we're st- we're starting from scratch when you're working when we're working on on Phantom Menace and um. Work, I'm working with the new design. You know, there's not really much that you could use, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. we're, we're working with a, a new kind of stormtrooper. The stormtroopers don't look anything alike. The characters aren't the same. So you just you just kind of use what we have, you know, what what 
they've already uh, designed up. So I'm, you know, I'm working with um, drawings that, that Doug or Ian or Edna TV dad or whoever has come up with or any of the sculptures that they might've made of the, of the various uh, sculptures and even, even the live action care, you know, people, uh, originally they had, uh, Ray Fiennes and who's the guy, who's the actor from Gladiator? I can't remember. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Those guys, they were saying, yeah, draw, draw, uh, Ben and, um, Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon as, as, as those guys. And then they would change it and before they had, a, had, a uh, Russell Crowe's character, he had a, like a kind of like a mohawk with the little dealy boppers on the side and things like that. So the reference reference we used was was you know we basically had to forget about everything star wars and basically start start from scratch with this you worked on the mummy and the mummy returns uh with ilm and it says that you were part of the mummy design and creature design and yeah you're wondering yeah we did a ton of mummy designs you know the the big jaw coming down and just mm-hmm. different ways and different looks and different textures that we, you would have on the mummy. So uh, the group of us would come up with all kinds of different things that they needed. And not just that, but also the other characters. Like in the second one, for example, they had uh, the Anubis warriors and they had mm-hmm. um, the, the little, little munchkin, little mummy things and all that. Are So basically anything creature related. Speaking of, you worked uh, early in your career on Men in Black and then later Men in Black 2 right. in the creature design department. Um, and are you hired to just to storyboard or is your job description you come in and draw monsters every day? Basically, my role is a, is a visual effects art director and basically you're doing all of those things. You're, you're doing storyboards, you're doing concept art, and you're also and then you're also helping solidify the you know, the designs of the artwork by working with, you know, the people who are in, CG, in the computer graphics department or the model shop or whatever it is and, and making sure that the, the sculptures or whatever looks like your drawings when, when you're doing, you know, art direction. Or you might be just working as an illustrator, which might include storyboards, it might be concept art, and you'd be working with another person who's working as a visual effects art director. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're working just as a, as, as a wrist, uh, you know, for other art directors, or you might be art directing yourself um, and others. Just to close out the monster discussion of it all, uh, do you want to ask about Scooby-Doo? Sure. Uh, you are uncredited on Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. Um, I know that's a, that's specific, but I was wondering why are you uncredited and what what, what your work on that was? Yeah, I, we, they basically just asked us to, to design all the classic Scooby-Doo characters um, and... and crank them out really fast we just had black cans, cans on paper and colored pencils and just and they just drew them out that way the reason why people um sometimes get credits and sometimes they don't it's it's really kind of actually kind of a mystery to all of us uh, usually it's it's the producers or you know of your department or in your department you know maybe the visual effects producer or or might be you know the art you know whoever you know, the art director is or the you know the production designer I imagine they have a hard part, a large part in it. I imagine it's also depends on how many hours maybe that you've put into it, but um, it's really weird. I've worked on projects where I've hardly done anything and I've gotten a credit and I've definitely done a lot where I've done a, a, 
a shitload of stuff. And it's like, Hey, no credit, you know? So yeah, it's, it's one of those things. There's no, there's no guaranteed credits, especially for people who are below the line. It seems, um, people who, people, you know, the, the bigger fish, the people who are at the front, whose names are in the front of the movie. It's a much, I think it's a much bigger deal with them and, and they have to have, you know, their names up there, but with us, mm-hmm. It's really at the, the discretion of the producer of that particular, you know, whatever it is, whoever your boss was. So. so historically, when drawing on pencil and paper, would you do like, uh, would you just have a bunch of eraser marks or would you just like do a bunch of different trials on new sheets of paper or would you just get it right the first time? Uh, definitely not getting it the first time. Yeah, no, there's, I use my eraser more than I use my pencil. I mean, I really, I'm not joking. It's just, you, you, you're going it over, over and over and over again um, until it's right. And, and that's them. I guess that's why digital might be a bit easier. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you it basically, you can erase things or you do things on separate layers and without ruining whatever it is that's underneath or whatever mm. like that. So, um, so, you know, the digital tools of our, you know, far superior now. It makes it, mm-hmm. it makes it so much easier. But um, but yeah, in the old days, if you had that one drawing there, and if you spilled coffee on it, you're, you're, you're screwed. You're screwed. Yeah. You, you had to do it over again. Even if you raced, you're wrong. You know, you had to do it over again. You know, I miss. I don't miss having pencil and paper anymore because. But uh, you know, it is it is kind of nice to have something that's physical. So mm-hmm. having having original artwork. Like when I'm doing comics and stuff like that, it always seems to ni- nice to have, you know, a piece of original artwork that you could sell or whatever it is. I suppose if they if they allowed you to, but um, but it's 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 nice to have something that's more than just a digital thing. Something about it, some something about holding something in your hand. One other movie that I'm a very big fan of is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and uh, I was wondering what that was like and um, what Mav- Matt Reeves is like to work with, like in. Com- compares to other directors like his style and everything um, i don't know I, 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 uh matt just seems like a guy who you can have a lot of confidence in in terms of his opinions and things like that i mean that's mm-hmm. that's the first thing i didn't get to work with him to, you know i mean i worked with him but uh, but i didn't get to, i don't think i got to know him as much as i did some of the other directors but, mm-hmm. but you know he seemed like a pretty a pretty cool guy and it was just and we you know they flew us you know into uh Louisiana to work on it, and we're actually working on it, uh, an old NASA facility inside. Of oh wow! That, that they they turned it into basically a, a film studio. It's I mean, it still had NASA stuff left over from it, but they have like a big fuel booster thing right in front, and so basically we we worked inside of a, a great big uh, NASA s- a studio. But then also working in uh, New Orleans was you know our our hotels were in, in New Orleans and right in the middle of things. And, um, and it's one of the fun, I think one of the fun parts of my job when they do is uh, take us on location with them and mm-hmm. you see, and, and to see all the stuff, all the, you know, we go on a lot of scouts, uh, you know, with, with Matt and, and the crew uh, to see and So you're seeing like an old, it's an old glass, I think it was a glass factory of some sort where Koba has his showdown with, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. where he has his big fight with uh, Koba and and, uh, and Caesar, and um, or the house that they were in, which is really just like right behind the, my ho- where my hotel was. It's just this regular house in in, in the neighborhood, and 
you know, they're able to change things, you know, digitally later. So, um, you know, working in, working in, in New Orleans was, was actually a lot of fun. It, was it a common occurrence for them to fly you out? And what would, would the objective be to like, ask you your opinion and be like, does this match the boards or would it to be to draw additional boards? You're asking the reason why we, they why would they fly would fly out. you out to location. Um, sometimes, yeah, you do. Well, you do need to be there with the director. I mean, or rather, mm-hmm. it's easier to do stuff with you when you're there with the director, um, mm-hmm. and and go on lo- uh, go on location scouts and, and things like that. Um, and also, I guess there's also um, tax credit things that they have that that mm-hmm. are, are an issue with with that. That's why they they move a lot of these things, and you know. Uh, Louisiana was a, a hotbed of, of filmmaking for a while, and, and you know different different places at different times seem to go back and forth on that. But I have a quick question. Oh, okay. sorry. What, was it unique to Star Wars to be interacting with the director directly, or is that a common occurrence? No, it's very if- it's very common. You know, I mean, I, I always work with directly with the director. Um, Right now, I'm working with Nikki Caron on a on a project, and uh, you know, I worked with her on on Mulan, uh, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you you have you build a relationship uh, with a lot of directors. They 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 know that you know their style, and they know the way that you communicate with them, and it's it's a lot it's a lot easier um, than. You know, when when you when you have somebody to work with, and so sometimes this is a few directors that I've worked with multiple times, mm-hmm. um, and I work you know work closely with a lot of them. So, so yeah, I w- I wanted to ask. Uh, you've worked on a lot of stuff that have large amounts of visual effects, mm-hmm. um, and and you've said that they look to your boards to figure out what visual effects tools or whatever they're going to use. But I was wondering, does do you ever think about that aspect of it like is that ever incorporated into what you draw the like dealing with all these visual effects or are you just sort of keeping on story when i was working at ilm most of the boards are going to be visual effects boards and so and they are specifically for those boards when i'm when, when i moved to los angeles uh, uh on 9 11 basically my first my first when i moved to los angeles and and did regular storyboards as opposed to visual effects storyboards then it is then what I'm doing is more story oriented, but there's, yeah, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. There's visual effects storyboards and then there's regular storyboards. And mm-hmm. um, I, I actually find it more fun to work on non-visual effects boards because you're, you're just, you're dealing with the story and the drama and, and the camera angles to make something like interesting. Whereas mm-hmm. the visual effects boards are there for clarity's sake and where things are. And, you know, at that, at that time is, is, is a lot, like a lot of stuff that where things are and how to make it easier for, for them to make, you know, to give you the, the effect they need and, and keep it under budget, you know, even, mm-hmm. you know, you can find the cheap way of going around certain things where you, where, you know, save them a visual effects shot. If you, if you don't need to do a visual effects shot here. So you're, you're conscious of, you're all usually conscious of trying to save the money somehow if that's what you're asking for you know and and finding ways to make it you know interesting but without you know without using that shot or you know your clarity without having to do an effects shot so 
sometimes you're finding ways to avoid doing an effect shot and, and other ways he's it's it's yeah so 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 in reference to that say if it's the pod race scene and you're told hey do it with the crowd in the background mm-hmm. are you gonna draw a bunch of like zany original characters or are you just gonna do placeholders and like how much creative freedom are you given for like little things in the background yeah so little things in the background are just you know that's one of those things like you might be saving if you if you're doing some really crazy cr- creatures and critters there that they're more originally budgeted for that could cost them a lot of money so you have to you mm. do have to be kind of conscious of that but other times they might say hey you know go for it go wild on this particular shot and and you do that when when it's when it's needed but um you know you, when you're doing effects stuff that a lot of that is part of the worry you know you do you don't want to at least at that time when effects were a lot more uh difficult to do and um, mm-hmm. it's more more expensive so uh, only do it where it's needed the right kind of effect for the right kind of thing okay yeah so um i'm a big fan of the rush hour trilogy and mm-hmm. you worked on rush hour three right. and you you just said that you're a big fan of martial arts mm-hmm. stuff right. so um y- yeah uh, what what'd you do that were you working on fight scenes there or like uh, just generally? you know I, I wish i was actually on that one i was working more with the art director as a concept artist so i was doing a lot of photoshop oh, okay. stuff of the sets but occasionally they knew that i storyboarded so uh when they needed uh storyboards in a in a tight pinch they, they um they would say they would call me in to help them out a little bit so i, I did a little bit of storyboarding on the I think there's a scene where they're they're in the sewer, and there's another scene where they're uh, where the the brother breaks in to the um, to the kind of UN type of place and and, mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and all that. So so I did a little bit, but I didn't get to work directly with Jackie, which would have been that would have been a dream the, for the, me. The Holy Grail. That would have been the Holy Holy Grail. But mm-hmm. um, but mostly I was working on on what the sets look like. But I did do a little bit of storyboarding. So is that mainly what concept artists do is draw the sets uh, and how like obviously it's different than storyboarding. But how are the what are the responsibilities for concept artists broadly? Well, the con- yeah, the concept artist is there. They're going to be doing kind of like the sometimes a lot of the keyframes on key moments or they mm. might be doing just uh, a set, you know, in an illustrated form or they might be doing like a, a creature or character. Mm hmm you know, um, or costume. Um, so, uh, you know, they're going to be doing more of the full color stuff. Storyboard artists mainly get to deal with, with action where the camera is. That's, that's mainly what, mm-hmm. we're, what we're involved in, you know, and, and doing it and doing it over and over again. But, but with the, if you're the type of artist who likes to kind of like really pick on the details and, and do stuff in color and things like that doing concept art is probably more for you. Um, Trent, do you want to ask? No, the big kahuna. Yeah, sure. Okay. So this is the big kahuna final question. Uh, what is the last great thing you watched and it can be a first viewing or a revisit last great thing that I watched. Oh, yeah, or at least, good. or it could be the last thing you watched, or last good yeah, thing. Yeah, it can be bad. It can also, it can be a thing you didn't like. You know, uh, there's too many. 
there's too many. Dep- you know, it depends on what 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 genre. And the last thing that the last know. thing that left that left an impact that hit home. Uh, you know, there's a little film that was called a uh, Ghost Story. That was kind of an indie kind of film. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of David like, Lowry. He's doing the Green Knight. Right, right. Uh, I really liked that film a lot. I thought it was it was able to do a lot of things with like not a lot, but it was but it was it was very kind of a cerebral film. T- you know, talked about existence and, and and life and things like that in a way with this kind of silly looking ghost. You know, with a wait, is this the A twenty four film with Casey Affleck? Right? Yeah, yeah, I really. Oh, yeah. I, I I liked this movie. You know, but then I like old I like old martial arts films, things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. a Crouching Tiger or a Hidden Dragon or, uh, you know, uh, Come Drink with Me was an old King Who film. Um, from the sixties. It was like, it's kind of like a Chinese version of, is their version of, of good, bad and the ugly. It was kind of, mm-hmm. but, but with a female protagonist, you know, I mean, in terms of, of female action, action thing, action character, uh, actresses, act, actors, um, you know, the Chinese were doing it in Hong Kong for years before any, they, they've been doing it since, since the, 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 since the silent era mm-hmm. so you know they talk there's a lot of talk about the these kick-ass female characters and you, you just you can go back to the to the old old hong kong films from what's called red knight to you know because uh the the way hong kong was back in those days was that the male a lot of them came from a lot of them came from chinese opera and the, the the male actors who worked in that kind of looked down on film and said, "Okay, well, let the woman take take that role, even though it's for a mm-hmm. male." And so they had to learn how to do stunts and things like that. And so the whole uh, action fighting thing was in those days uh, started as a female thing. It was kind of interesting. I didn't know that. So I just have one quick last question. So what did you think when you saw the Phantom Menace, and when was the last time you saw it? And do you in, do you intentionally watch all of the films that you board for, or do you intentionally not watch them? I don't remember the last time I saw, saw Phantom Menace. I mean, uh, I definitely, I certainly remember the time, the first time I saw it. You know, it was just kind of, again, it was kind of a mixed bag for me. I think on a, uh, on a technical basis, it was, it was, you know, groundbreaking more than I think a lot of people mm-hmm. give it credit for. Um, and, but there's a lot of things that are, you know, story-wise that I think have been talked about and run over a zillion yes. times. Um, you know, obviously there's things I would do in a differently, you know, if I was a director, but um, but I'm not. So, you know, well, what can you do? Mm-hmm. But um, I, I don't, but I think there were there were a lot of things that were really good in it. I mean, I like the scenes that that I was involved in. I liked that the fact that they were you know, having a, a higher energy in the fight scenes, um, mm-hmm. you know, and even Jar Jar, you look at how, you know, I mean, what a poorly conceived character, but it was still a, at that time, you know, to do a photorealistic, fully CG, fully CG character interacting with human characters for, you know, that many minutes in a film was, 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 was groundbreaking, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I wish that the character had been conceived better, but, but, you know, doing something like that is, is not an easy thing and make it look, you know, convincing. I mean, it's much easier to do that now, but, um, 
that back in those days to make something photorealistic that it can walk around with a live action person and 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 fit in was a lot more difficult. Um, Trent, uh, do you want do you want to close this out or? Sure. Thank you so much to Argus Benton Jew, storyboard artist on such films as Star Wars Phantom Menace, Donald Plan the Apes, Detective Pikachu, Mulan, and many more. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Gee whiz, Parth. Wasn't that a great interview? One of my favorites, I'd say. It's pretty great. Call me crazy, but uh, aren't you excited to discuss Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, where things all began chronologically? I'm excited to rewatch this movie. I don't, I don't think I've rewatched this movie in, like, years. This is the sort of movie that me and friend of the show, Zach Basile, would turn on at a sleepover after, like, 40 minutes of deliberation, and then we'd be like, wait, let's give the prequels another chance, and then we'd be asleep within the first 15 minutes because it takes a while to warm up. I'm intrigued to see how my thoughts uh, change. But uh, anyways, our our interview, I thought that was pretty awesome, and uh, to the fact that we alluded to, Benton Jew told us that Darth Maul was originally going to be female. Yes! Remember that, Trent? Yeah, I remember he said that like as soon as we got off the air. And we were like, shit, that was one of the most um, interesting things you've said. Not that he didn't say a lot of interesting things along the way. But come on, it's Darth Maul. But it's Darth Maul with boobs? Question mark? All right, Trent, enough of that. Uh, enough of your male gaze, okay? But Darth Maul sans boobs is still pretty cool, and I'm excited to talk about him next week. Yes. Wait, I feel um, like Star Wars like needs like a cool female villain. They do, don't they? They have, like, Kashyyyk, or, not Kashyyyk, that's the fucking Wookiee planet. Um, <laughs> they have, They have, like, a bald lady or something in, like, the animated show. Oh, in the expanded universe? Okay, well, there's no need to. Oh, and Star, like War- Star Wars Attack of the Clones Season 3, Episode 18? Sorry, guys. Outside of the nine Star Wars Skywalker saga plus uh, Rogue One plus solo Star Wars story, I really. The best one of them all. I really have trouble caring about Star Wars spinoff material. I, I agree. I- I've seen like one season of The Mandalorian and it wasn't. But really, for me, I don't like no disrespects, but I've watched a few episodes of The Mandalorian, and obviously, it's very well made. And I'm glad that a Star Wars property is doing well. And I like Boba Fett as much as the next guy. But, like, what's everyone losing their shit about? Is it just the baby Yoda factor? Because that's kind of what it seems chalked up to. If you, uh, if you go into any Target across the world, it's just baby Yoda merchandise. Kind of. I think people need to get it into their brains that Star Wars is made for children, <laughs> and it's that's okay, and that it's not some really dark, deep thing. Like it, It's okay that it's made for children, but it is made for children, and we need to stop pretending that it needs to be taken seriously. Yeah. Well, Parth, um, The Phantom Menace is considered pretty bad objectively but why not it's considered even worse star wars episode two attack of the clones next week's topic well the week after next week's topic yeah 
Um, but who are we at liberty to say who are we gonna yeah. have? Yeah, no, we've got we've got Mark Sexton. Oh, well, I was gonna say I was gonna say who the discussion guest for, for oh, next week was. No, nope. not to. I just don't want to. I don't want to promise something and then for it to not come true. Okay, but I will say our first two discussion guests, while we our first two potential discussion guests, while we love them, I'm really excited for the way our Revenge of the Sith discussion is going to go. And let's just say crossover. Crossover, crossover, crossover. Potentially. That could potentially happen. And it's it'd be theoretical, awesome. but we are not at liberty to disclose. We could cross over with the Team Deacons pod. Maybe it's that. Fuck Team Deacons, dude. Fuck Team Deacons. Actually, dude, my, I don't my think... Dad, my mm-hmm. dad uh, was listening to one of our episodes and was like, oh, who's Deacons? Why do you hate him so much? <laughs> And I was like, oh, he's only one of the most acclaimed cinematographers and visual artists of our generation. But see, my that doesn't mo- matter. My mom took me aside after listening to one of the episodes the other day, and she was like, Trent, are you trying to shoot your career in the foot by going after Roger Deakins like week after week? She was like, don't you think that's counterintuitive to... I, I feel like this is our way. We, we're punching up so they have to notice us. Yes. And because if we go, were just I'm sending... so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. If we were just sending him fan mail, he would ignore us. Yeah. But if That's just we like send else. him hate mail, yeah, and then he'll have to at least file a restraining order, and then at least he's writing us back. If you're a fan of the show, I, I would like it. Nay, I would strongly encourage you to write up Team Deacons and say that you challenge them to come talk on Craft Services. If you're a listener and you're listening to this, here's my challenge: go. Yeah, uh, but anyways, uh, it is twelve twenty almost, and yeah, Parth, I'm you're the tired. kid. I'm, I'll be the kid at the sleepover who says that it's tomorrow now. I think it's. I think it's time we end this pod, huh? Yeah. Um, let's go to bed. Is that yeah. a crazy idea? Ha- just before we go to bed, how about we just tell our listeners that they should go to our social media: Instagram, Twitter, follow us, like us, like all of our posts, share them if you could. That'd be really nice. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts, write a review, rate us five stars, follow us on Spotify. Or, it really does help. Or even just tell your friends about the show because yeah. people like to talk about film. We have cool guests, and our cool guests have cool stories about even cooler people. So yes. I'm just saying. Mm. Oh, part the Mark Sexton interview is going to hit so hard. It is. The Tom Cruise stuff? Come on. Mm. It's, it's too good. It's too good. Mark Sexton was loose with... Uh, what he was given away. Yeah, that's that that that's one way to look at it. Um, okay. Um, I'd say um, craft services loyal uh, com- com- compatriots. Uh, good night from good night five from night, Tr- from Trent and Parth, the host of the show. Love we love you, especially if you listen to the end. Compared to everyone else who logged out ninety five percent of the way through, fuck you. And if you're from the Team Deacons legal team trying to do a reconnaissance mission, we know that you're spying, and we're listening right back. We are able to predict your every move because we've been just observing your career for years and taking notes. So watch your fucking back. Fuck Team Deacons. Good night. Good night.